Mosley, the Matt Mosley Show, coming to you live from the Baylor Club. And I'll tell you who would love the Baylor Club. Sam Kahn, Jr., a man who uh, has spent some time in Waco, has been moving around. The, he, he loves to move around the state of Texas, talking to different head coaches. And, uh, Sam, I hope you have been at the Baylor Club. This is your kind of place, beautiful uh, Beautiful bar, uh, uh, wonderful food. Uh, if you haven't been to the Baylor Club, let me uh, let me bring you here next time you're in town, sir. Coming this weekend, so maybe we could do it this weekend. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Uh, in town for the big Baylor Oklahoma State uh, matchup, so that would be great. Now, Sam, are you on that uh, on that boom mic that you have at the house with me right now? Do you do all your media, or are you are you just kind of on the uh, I guess you can't. You got to just answer the, the phone when we call or something like that. I I love the thought of you on that. Uh, you've really become quite the broadcaster with that nice uh, podcasting mic you have. Yeah, no, I'm not on it now. I'm on my Bluetooth headphones. But uh, that now that I have a MacBook, which I think you can take calls on your MacBook if you have an iPhone. So I have to figure that one out because if I can, then maybe I could use that for future. That would that would actually make life a little bit easier. So. I'm all for it. Okay. We'll send somebody over there to make that work, okay? I'll send my technical <laughs> folks over. Uh, Sam Kahn Jr. will be in the house, and you know it's a big one. Nine versus uh, 16, and that's going to be uh, that's gonna be really uh, a, a fun one and hopefully a full crowd, uh, full house for that 2.30 start. Now, Sam, this, this uh, story you wrote in The Athletic, I love the uh, – the analytics approach in that Joey McGuire, I mean, Joey's done some interesting things, hasn't he? The way he recruits, the way he's decided to go about things, um, I, I, he, he was ready for this. I mean, he was ready to go in. But, boy, the, 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 the things he learned from Baylor just made such a huge mark on him. I thought this was a really well done. And, uh, Sam, it makes me kind of like want to look at one of those books, you know, the color-coded the game book and, and basically Sam wrote about the charts uh, that a company produces of when to go for it on fourth down. And interestingly, Sam, I mean, it's not like Dave Aranda was the first guy to start going for it a lot on fourth down, but he's quickly gained that reputation. And one of the fascinating parts of the story is Dave Aranda admitting to you, 2020, I was horrible at this. And I think he even used the words, it, it was embarrassing. And not only did he change that, but he's changed it dramatically to where now this year and last year ranks among the highest in the country in going for it. Um, I would say he learned his lesson, didn't he? Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think that's one thing I really admire about Dave Aranda is his willingness to evolve. Not every coach uh, is willing to separate themselves from the belief that maybe they had coming up as an assistant or being part of a program. But Dave had no qualms about that. From from the first time I sat down with him uh, in, in spring of 2021, after that rough 2020, I could tell right away he was very introspective and he was very willing to admit, hey, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't have all the answers as a head coach, but I'm trying to find them. And I admire that a lot because most people in that position aren't going to admit that, hey, I don't know all the answers. Because you get paid so much money, you leave these programs, people expect you, hey, you've got to have all the answers. But I, I admire his humility to admit that. And, and this was another example of that, was 
I'll never forget in the third, I think it was the third game of the year in 2020, and they had a fourth and 12, Baylor did, at the Texas 30, and he punted. And it just made me want to cry because I was, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, oh, no, Dave Moreno is one of these guys who punts on the plus side. And so, because uh, I've I, I covered a lot of teams that are aggressive. You know, I, one of my first college teams I covered was uh, Kevin Sumlin and Cliff Kingsbury's Houston team in 2011 with Case Keenum. They were a very, very explosive offensive team. And they weren't necessarily going to fourth down at this rate, but they were definitely willing to take those chances because of how much confidence they had in their offense. And, you know, they carry some of that over with them, Texas A&M and Johnny Manziel. And so I've always enjoyed watching teams that are willing to throw caution to the wind a little bit and follow the, what I think is now logical, which is if you're fourth and three on the 43, it makes more sense to go for it than punt. So I give Dave Aranda credit to, to seek this out. He, he started, they started using championship analytics, which about 100 teams, or I'm sorry, 100 teams across multiple levels use, and I think more than half the FBS uses this company to consult on these analytics and they use this game book every week and the game book is updated every week and they talk to people from this uh, company every week to go over here's what you did here's how it worked out uh, here's what other teams are doing and this is how the trends are going and that with that with the addition of Jeff Grimes and his great play calling and the way he was able to sequence his play calls on third down to optimize those fourth down chances turn them into one of the best fourth down teams in the country last year and, of course, Joey McGuire was part of that 2021 Baylor team and has adopted that philosophy at Texas Tech, which, of course, it turned into a huge part of their upset of Texas last week with them going six for eight on fourth down. Should you and I just get together and put our, our large brains together and, and just come up with some kind of analytical – I mean, think about what it would – I mean, that, this is kind of an amazing part of the story to me that a former coach, Rob Ash, CAI's Director of Coaching Development, um, that somebody just said, you know what, why don't, we, why don't we try to get the numbers together and put together a service like this? And like you said, there's a lot of schools out there because you don't want to hear about a school using a service and getting the benefit of something, and then you're not getting the benefit from it. So, everybody, you know, more and more peer pressure, you're going to sign up. This is it's fascinating, you know, how a coach and I'm sure you got to uh, learn a little bit more about this coach who, as you who said, he had won 246 games in 36 seasons. Like, obviously, this guy probably wasn't it it start of his career, like huge into analytics. Analytics has come since that guy's started coaching. Like, what did you learn about him? Because even how someone gets into that. Is, is kind of a fascinating aspect of this story. Yeah, and I think that's part of one of the keys to how this works, right? Because coaches are sometimes often risk-averse. And if you introduce a foreign concept, a lot of times, if it's not proven or they don't know it works, and they don't have anything to point to from an evidential standpoint, then it's hard for them to buy in. So I think having a former coach on the staff who's done it and won at a high level for 30 years he served, I think, after his time in Montana State, he served as an analyst at Arkansas with Brett Bielema and kind of helped them get into the analytical uh, aspect. And he's one of like he's one of many members on that staff. They have a, uh, a lot of different guys on the management team there. Michael McRoberts is the founder and president of this place. Uh, Bill Connolly, if anybody has a chance, go look up Bill Connolly's story on championship analytics. Uh, Bill Connolly from ESPN did a really, really deep story about how this company got founded and where the ideas came from. And McRoberts, it was really McRoberts' idea. 
<clears throat> and then he hired all this staff and bring it in. I've, if you have a bunch of math guys telling a football coach what to do, I think a football coach is going to get real skeptical. But if you bring in a guy with football background who's won football games, who's coached football at, at your level, you're going to be a lot more receptive to it. And that's one of the things that was interesting to me about Joey McGuire and Dave Aranda's experiences. They talk to Rob Ash every week. Uh, Joey McGuire and his staff have a Zoom call with him every Thursday, and they talk over, here's what we did last week, here's how it worked, Here, and they, there's feedback on those decisions. Again, there's, there's real-life examples that they're providing from NFL, college, and, and other levels. To, here's what other teams are doing. And Joey McGuire's incorporating that into his practice script. So on Tuesday and Wednesday, the next week, they're taking some of those scenarios that get introduced from other teams around the country and introducing that into practice so that when the game comes on Saturday, that it's not foreign and it's not new, and you're taking some of the pressure off your players to do it. So th- having that football mind in there combined with all the math experts, I think is critical because otherwise it's just a bunch of people who coaches aren't familiar with trying to, trying to sell them on the idea. Sam Kahn Jr. joining the Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas. I mean, I would have not nominated Joey, having known him since he was at Cedar Hill, oh, Joey's going to be this huge analytics-driven coach. I mean, it's not what we think of, uh, and, and yet he saw it in action, and he was willing to adopt that. I think it's interesting that Mike Leach, Art Briles, some of those type coaches, I think they were doing this, a lot of it on their gut, rather than even analytics-based, you know, for years and years of, of, of sort of figuring out if we can steal possessions or keep the ball. I mean, what, what the other day you had the report that it was like 23 uh, extra plays that uh, Texas defense had to stay out there because they kept get going for it and getting it on fourth down. So I, it is interesting to think back on some of these coaches who sort of brought this mentality Sam, but I don't know necessarily that Leach was leaning on a bunch of analytics as much as he was trusting his gut to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I would be interested to know, and, and I've read that book that S.C. Gwynn did, The Perfect Pass, which yeah. is a really, really fascinating dive into Leach's history and, and how Mummy and how the air raid kind of came about. And I, I'd have to, I can't remember that they really did much statistical analysis on that, but you're, but you're right. I think it was... Part of what the air raid, I think the explosion of it was more about a way of thinking more than it was. It was not just we're going to do four wide and throw it a ton of times. We're going to do it no huddle. We're going to do it up tempo. And that aggressiveness and that belief in your offensive football team, I think it has very much trickled down into the rest of college football at large. I think that's what's opened the door until like, I cited the team, that, I, that 2011 Houston team that I talked about. Well, Cliff Kingsbury, when he had Case Keenum or he had Johnny Manziel as quarterback at Texas in 2012, they believe they could score on anybody. And they believe every play they're running is going for six. And the confidence requires to have that mentality and to play with that mentality on Saturday. It's that same kind of confidence that you need in an instance like this to have the conviction to go for fourth down as often as I second day on Saturday or as often as Baylor does it on a week-to-week basis uh, with Dave Rand and Jeff Grimes. Because you can't, and Ed McGuire said this to me, and I believe it 100%, it doesn't work if you could, if you just pick and choose. You have to be committed to the strategy. And I think that way of thinking that you're citing from Leach and Tommy and Browns and some of these others, that aggressive mentality of, hey, we're just going to go up and score as much as we can and hope you, you can hope you keep up with us. 
I think that type of thinking definitely is congruent with the, with the fourth down answer. You know, and, and Sam, you can tell Joey loves Grimes. I mean, I think he respects and certainly uh, Rule had a huge impact on him, Miranda too. But I just think even his short time with Jeff Grimes – uh, played, and I'm glad you kind of added that in the story because I honestly, it's hard to visit with Joey without sort of coming away knowing that he's got tremendous respect for what Jeff Grimes brought to Baylor. And that may be one of the most important things Aranda did was was not try to do what some coaches would have done and ride it out and just go, it's COVID. We don't need to make any changes on offense. Those offensive changes ended up being big. Now, uh, this game Saturday, I, I, I kind of want to get where you're leaning on this. I, it's so early in the season. I don't think Vegas knows what to do with these two teams. I don't know if the AP <laughs> voters. I don't know who, if either, if no, anybody knows exactly what to do with these two teams. Let me ask it this way. Are they close? Do you think in your mind they're close to being kind of the teams they were last year? Obviously, Baylor's got a different quarterback. Oklahoma State's had the same quarterback for like eight years now. Um, does this Oklahoma had Oklahoma State had a lot of people leave? Um, you know they lost some key talent in the transfer portal. Are are these from a talent standpoint? Are these you think it's a similar level as it was when they got together in that fateful game in the championship game last year? I don't think they're quite there yet, and I think you saw it certainly. You saw it in Oklahoma State's opener against Central Michigan, where they they gave up a ton in the second half. And Central Michigan rallied. Clearly, the defense is not quite at that level. And then it's it's hard to gauge after that because they, the, the the schedule hasn't been intimidating. You know, they've they've beaten Central Michigan, Arizona State, and Arkansas Pine Bluff. So it's hard to gauge there. And Baylor clearly early in the season was working through some things offensively in that BYU game. Not not nearly as aggressive attacking down the field. But I thought you answered some questions last week against Iowa State. They, they certainly, to me. Baylor looked more offensively like the team that I remember seeing last year on Saturday in Ames. So that, that said, I think those losses that we talk about, you lose a Malcolm Rodriguez at Oklahoma State, you lose a Jalen Petrie or Terrell Bernard at Baylor. Those are really, really hard pieces to replace. And I think it, it's going to take time, in my opinion, for them to get back to that level because at that level, we were talking top five, top six teams in the country uh, when they met in the Big 12 championship game or, or of that caliber when they met in the Big 12 championship game last year. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I do think both these teams have the potential to get there down the stretch. And that's what's fascinating to me is because this game is going to be, just like it was last year, very, very pivotal in the Big 12 race. And I don't think we have an idea who the best team in the Big 12 is. I don't even think we know who the worst team is in the Big 12 at this point. But yeah, this is going to be really informative for both teams to see where these squads are headed as the Big 12 race evolves. We can't really put Kansas in the same, you know, it used to be pretty easy to tell, tell who was the worst team, and it doesn't seem to be the case right now. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's, you know, rematch from last year. And I think this game, Sam, had this, these two teams, this could be very important for the Big 12 moving forward. If Oklahoma State and Baylor can stay good, can both stay really good because we're already having these stories, oh, bedlam. It's all it's about loss. You know, okay, we're going to lose that series soon. We're going to lose this. You know, Texas OU, 
that we the Big Twelve needs teams like Baylor and Oklahoma State to to remain really really good and keep making it to places like the Big Twelve championship game. So, uh, in that sense, Sam, to me, it feels like it it you know it has even even more of a uh, you know, emphasis or significance than usual. Yeah, certainly. And then when you take uh, when you take the emergence of Texas Tech this season, if they are able to start their first season under McGuire as a bowl team, or maybe even a seven eight win. I mean, we're talking now three and one. Maybe they're a seven or eight win team. Then you feel good about that. You're bringing BYU in, who's you know they've been a pretty consistent program uh, and they're a ranked program for, for quite some time. You're bringing in a Cincinnati team that went to the playoff. You're bringing in a Houston team that is a little bit rough this year, but they have a track record for for succeeding. ECU is really interesting. They're three and zero. That's another mm-hmm. team that I'm not sure we know how good are they. But until that last slide at the end of the Gary Patterson era, they they were pretty consistent even in their early years in the Big Twelve, able to to get and contend for the playoff in 2014 and gets the Big 12 title game. I think it was in 2017, I think it was. So th- these are all programs that are going to be in that mix. And I I think it's going to make the race so, so much more fast. But you're right. If Baylor and Oklahoma State can be back in that race at the end of the year for the Big 12 title game and start to really establish themselves as the program's moving forward, and I think it makes sense because, to me, these two teams are the ones that have the best foundation. Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy, he's been there for more than 15 years. They've been so consistent under him, so it's and they've done such really good stuff from an infrastructure standpoint there. So that makes sense for them to be that program. Baylor, they've been able to succeed over three different head coaches. They have a stable administration. They have a stable president. That all matters in this in this equation, and those two teams being the class of the conference moving forward. Texas OU leave, it wouldn't shock me in the least if they were if they were, that turned out to be the case. Well it's gonna be a lot of fun. Look forward to seeing you and I would like I'd love to host you sometime soon at the Baylor Club if you promise not to put our receipts out there, okay? Like you did with the University <laughs> of Texas <laughs> Let's not. I will promise you that one. Let's not publish any of that. Uh, Sam, great stuff. Really appreciate it. It was a fun read today, and I immediately said, "Man, I gotta, I gotta book Sam," uh, and uh, really appreciate you doing it. No problem. Thank you for having me. You bet. There you go, Sam Con Jr. from the Athletic.